Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Got Mental Health Podcast. I am your co-host, Rachel Cove. I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur, author, artist, mother, and certified recovery coach. I'm your co-host, Arthur Mogilevsky, entrepreneur, girl dad, animal activist, and owner of AM Healthcare, a premier substance abuse and mental health treatment program. With the collective experience of 21 years working in the mental health field, we are excited to bring to you a safe and fun place to talk all things mental health. We will be interviewing experts, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and professionals in the entertainment industry to better educate, inform, and inspire our community to have positive mental wealth. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Got Mental Health Podcast. I am your co-host, Rachel Cove, along with my other co-host, Arthur Mogulski. Mogulski, Rachel. I know, I know. Mogulski. I can see. Oh, she did it. Mogulski. Mogulski. This is what I felt like when I was in Japan. What? (laughs) About nothing. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, As in all seriousness, Mm -hmm. even though when you and I are just talking, we can't help but not be serious. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are about to. I just found out about this. You're so secretive. Sometimes the Russian way. Do I even know you? Maybe. I don't. Do I? A little bit. You're not who you put out there. Not at all. It's really scary. It kind of is. (laughs) (laughs) Your poker face. I actually really admire it. I don't have a poker face. Yes, you. Yes, you do. I'm really bad at that. You absolutely have a poker face. Okay. You do. All right. You didn't tell me this for how long have you been doing it? What? Your Medicaid program. Um, Doing it or planning for it? All All the above. Planning for it years doing it probably six months to a year planning it okay i feel like my like, do, like serious doing planning. so was was my toe i feel like my toe has been in like the territory yeah, i was in it i mean listen i feel like disclosure it's it, you know mm-hmm. i'm not one of those kinds of people that thinks that disclosing everything as it comes up is great way i really you never know, that you really never know where it's going to end up going so what's the point of getting the hype without having some assurity i just had that conversation with my best friend last night what was that about i told him i said listen i said i think i'm in a new phase of life mm-hmm. where i'm not going to tell anybody anything that's happening to me mm-hmm. until it's done because i feel like i've actually had that conversation with you before yeah around no that's about getting excited i get well you also verbally abused me and said that i get excited about everything i did not do any of kidding. that he did not verbally abuse Jeez. me but you did tell me i get excited about everything which i guess i kind of do i think it's good to get excited i think i think letting the world know that you're excited about something i think it doesn't have to be 100 percent there you know what i mean i feel like if you're 80 percent there on the project or the thing that you're excited about i think at that point it's good to get it you know release it it's like it's like giving birth right or like having a baby you don't tell the first two three months right because there's a lot of complications a lot of things can go wrong i mean there, maybe you're close to your your parents you can tell but then you start telling the world in like five months four months six months because then it's like okay the likelihood of this happening is probability is very high same thing with life i feel like you know, going back to the Medicaid project, like I've been wanting and planning for years, but until I had like some solid pieces in place, until I had the properties and, you know, the person that I'm going to partner with and do it with, and, you know, a lot of the big pieces, I didn't want to say anything. 
Uh, now that those pieces are in place, like, yeah, we're not operating, but I'm still telling, now I'm telling people, right? Because for things not to work out, it's less likely, mm. you know what I mean? And if it's something comes up, I know I'll be able to deal with it and fix it. Well, it's all very elusive right now because we still haven't even told our audience what we're talking about. What we're about. talking about, I know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, you know, also when I listen to other podcasts and I hear them laughing, I actually get annoyed because a part of me feels like I'm not there. I'm not a part of their laughter. Right. So I hope. Who cares. That, yeah. I want to be like you when I grow up. Yeah, whatever. You know, when I'm doing things in life, I say to myself, how would Arthur respond to this? You think I'm joking, but I actually think I'm like, how would Arthur respond to this? Fuck it. That's right. He would probably say something negative. <laughs> <laughs> That's all negative. You're a pessimist. I'm an optimist. You are not an optimist. I'm an optimist. I'm both. I don't know if you're just in There's a phase a right now. Of being a pessimist? Yes. Where nothing's going to work? <laughs> <laughs> no. I feel like there's a balance. There's a balance. But let's bring it back to yeah, you, something that you're optimistic about. Yeah, 100%. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. So I went on Facebook. What are we excited about? Okay, well, I'll tell you, yeah. okay? Yeah. I went on Facebook. This was probably like three weeks ago, mm -hmm. right? Or three and a half weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And yeah. I saw a house on there. Yeah. And I'm like, like just the picture of the house. Just the picture of the house. Yeah, I'm teasing. I'm going. I'm playing You're with. Such a I'm playing. I'm playing with the the art of teasing You're right like taking now. Taking the feather. Oh yeah. Like I just came back from a conference, uh, a recovery conference, and did you dominate the conference? Uh yes. Walked around like the dominant one. Um, no, it's it's a fun conference. It's like a high school reunion. Everybody gets together. They take a bunch of selfies, drink a bunch, drink a bunch of coffee, schmooze, and never do any business together. But that's besides the point. Um, so I went to this conference, and tons of people were coming up to me. They're like, "So what are you doing? What is this house? What is this project? Like you know, like it's like this thing. It's buzz, right? So it kind of worked." So I'm really excited about this whole teasing process. So I started off with a picture. Then I started off with another picture, and it was a picture of our contract. You were in your underwear next to a house. Yes. That's what I want everyone to hear. Look it up. <laughs> Just um, no, so there was a picture of a contract, and then there was a video of me walking through the entire property. So full disclosure, uh, we're very excited about opening up a Medicaid, a Medi-Cal program, for mental health. This is huge. Ginormous. Like ginormous. Ginormous. Can I tell you why? Is that what this podcast is for? Arthur, can you tell me why this is huge? This is so huge. Why is it huge? No, I'm really excited about it, uh, honestly. And it's nice to hear you excited about something. <laughs> it comes once in a while. <laughs> um, so I think that we, so we, we systemically have an issue with, not being able to provide quality care. So since the Reagan administration, when they shut down psychiatric hospitals and inpatient mental health facilities, right? So they were trying to budget everything out for the state of California and they shut down probably the most important piece of mental health and substance abuse care that this state has ever seen. And they shut down a lot of these hospitals and programs that really uh, were a foundational beginning for a lot of patients to to access quality care where the state of california really 
uh, for, for many, many, many years, hasn't really had a robust system to be able to curb and deal with the mental health and the homelessness and the substance use population uh, for individuals who are not well-funded, low-income, don't have private insurance, don't have the means or ability to do that, go into these facilities that you, know, that you normally see uh, on TV. And so even until this point now, there have been... Um, very limited resources and programs. Like if you need to be 5150 or put on a psychiatric hold or you need to go to an inpatient hospital facility that specializes in mental health, there's very few resources. It's not like every hospital can manage that. You can't just go to any hospital and they'll admit you. There's hospitals that you go into and like, for instance, Cedars-Sinai. If you go in there with a um, in, in, a, in a manic episode or in a state of psychosis and you need to, or you're feeling suicidal, you can't just walk in there. They'll assess you, admit you, and you could be on a hold there. Uh, now, there are some privileges. Um, so the, each hospital does have abilities to be able to do, but they don't have specific units. They don't have specific facilities for that. So what they'll do, typically do is they'll assess and refer out to a hospital that can take you in, right? And so... And at the same time, you also, you know, a lot of times when you're in those states of mind, it's scary walking into a hospital, walking into a unit or a facility. They're they're not remodeled. They're not beautiful. They're not colored a, a bright, colorful, you know, hot, uh, hot pink or a light blue and a warm kind of nice bedding and nice uh, nice kind of setup. And, um, and so it, it adds on to that fear and that anxiety and that scare. Um, and then you have the, 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 the inpatient facilities like the Tarzana treatments and the cry helps and, um, you know, facilities that are not hospital based, they're more in commercial properties. Um, but they're also still scary and there's people still throwing drugs over the fences. They're not well, um, secured and, and well kind of run in a sense where you have the best opportunity for success within those systems. They're great. I mean, I can only imagine if they didn't exist, it'd be even worse, right? But so any, anyway, so going back to it, ever since the Reagan administration, when they shut down a lot of these programs, there really haven't been specialized programs to help deal with mental health and severe mental health. Now with the, you know, the problem that California has been dealing with, with homeless population, with uh, the lack of housing um, and the uptick in mental health and the migration of a lot of people from other states coming to California, either because of the legalization of marijuana or the weather or whatever it is, there isn't a infrastructure or foundation to be able to provide quality care or even housing for these this population. And so the state of California has um, implemented uh, financial programs that incentivize private entities or nonprofits to expand and build out and grow mental health programs, substance abuse programs, not only for the Medicaid population, low-income population, but also for private, but more so for the Medicaid population. And so I've been in the substance abuse and mental health space for coming on 10 years now. Um, and I think that, you know, the thing that I, I've personally have been really excited about and it, it have been missing out on it within our system is creating something for those who need it the most, right? Uh, not that 
you know, the people who have private insurance or private funding don't need it, but they have e an easier outlet to access it. Whereas patients who struggle with those things and have Medi-Cal uh, Medi or low income or no income at all, it's very hard for them to get help. And usually they're, they're mistreated and they're treated just like just a pawn in a sense, like here's, you know, come in and get out and there's no structure. There's no case management. There's no aftercare planning there. It's the same thing with you know people coming out of the prison systems, the the reintegration process. The chances of success is really low because they just don't have enough programs out there to create um, a strong foundation for these individuals. And so, the opportunity came up, and uh, we crunched some numbers. And I I uh, we we I partnered with a phenomenal clinician who ran a very large program in Riverside County. And we ran the numbers, we crunched it, and we have identified a way to make it work financially to do it in a nice, beautiful residential setting where patients can feel like they're at home, where they don't feel like they're in a hospital or an institution or, you know, a scary place. And they, they feel like they can be a bit more comfortable. And it gives us that window of opportunity to provide not only the clinical care and the psychiatric care that they need, but also I think more importantly, the life coaching and the case management component. Mm. I know it's a lot. I just dumped a bunch. But. Well, I but everything you said is so interesting. I mean, I, I, you know so much about this. Um, no, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning a lot. I don't. I don't. I don't think I've even touched the surface on. Um, what it's going to look like and how it's going to develop. I, I'm really excited because I think that once we start, we're really going to learn and adapt to figuring out the best, the best that we can do within the budget that we're allocated. I want you to pretend, and it's not going to take a lot of pretending because I am legitimately pretty ignorant around this stuff. Um, I know nothing. Okay. Mm. Let's say I am someone that is covered by it's Medicaid or Medi-Cal. It's, it's Medi-Cal. So Medi-Cal and Medicaid are the same thing? They are. So Medi-Cal is like uh, Medi and then Cal for California. I so always, every state is, has its own Medi-Cal program. Sorry to interrupt. So, I always thought that Medi-Cal was for one year older, like after you're 65. That's Medicare. Oh. Right. And you can actually still get Medicare even at a younger age, but it depends on your disability. And so Medicaid and Medi-Cal... Is prov is something you don't pay for? No, it's provided by the state. Okay, so it's provided by the state, and so is you don't pay for Medicare either. I mean, you do if you're an employee of the state, so you're paying into Medicare from your paycheck every paycheck. So why haven't there been many people that are doing what you're doing? Uh, honestly, uh, a lot. It's a very it, and I and I hate to put it this way. It is a it, it's a different type of population that it's a bit more difficult. Um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of a lot of the homeless population that is used to being out on the streets. It's a different psyche. It's a different way of looking at things. So it is a bit more of a difficult population to work with. And again, I I, I hate saying it that way because I, you know, no everybody's difficult really in their own way, but it's just a little bit different. Okay. Well, I spent a lot of time about a year and a half uh, going to Skid Row. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday, I went to a meeting on Skid Row, and awesome. so I was walking the streets, and then I would go uh, feed the homeless at um, the Midnight Mission. Mm -hmm. So, is it is it like are you familiar with the Midnight Mission? Mm -hmm. Is it similar to the Midnight Mission? 
No, because Midnight Mission is it's 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 a safe haven for people to go to for resources and food and shelter and so it's like uh, Manzo's hierarchy of needs and they solve your initial basis right. You need clothing, food, kind of an initial touch point right. Um, so it's great, but it's missing the number an intensive clinical setting right. I don't know if they provide psychiatric care or clinical care there. I, th I thought they did. They do. That. They do. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. For sure. I don't know. I, I don't know the details. Maybe they do. But um, I think it's also long term case management, life coaching, reintegration, um, setting up with a lot of those types of things. So is your facility going to be providing therapy? Yes. Wow. Six hours a day. Shut up. Yeah. Why do I say shut up? I don't know. Is there a movie like that? Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Mm -hmm. Fuck, I can't remember what movie that, that's called. As F. Okay, anyway, ADHD is real people. <laughs> so how, wow, six hours a day. Yeah. Of therapy plus case management plus life coaching. Groups, individual therapy, um, and uh, coaching. Wow. Yeah. This is really, really exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, and having worked with, um, a lot of people who have struggled with addiction, the, and again, I know this is like, it, it's sensitive, right? Cause I'm not saying that population, but I think one of the things I've talked a lot about with people who have been homeless is you're very much kind of living very primitively. You're living the, like, like an animal in a sense, like all I, I'm homeless and I care about my drugs and I care about my shelter and I care about my food and that's it. Like, mm -hmm. so, a lot of the times they get really familiar with that lifestyle mm -hmm. and it becomes really comfortable. Oh yeah. I, we had a, when I was in the geriatric world, uh, we had a, a, a patient who we brought into our assisted living facility, a 70 year old veteran. Um, and he was receiving with VA benefits and social security close to $5,000 a month in income. Wow. He left after a day. He could not be confined to the four wall. I mean, and it was a beautiful facility. He could not be confined. He felt more comfortable being free and out in the open. And 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 that's a that's a huge piece to it, right? Uh, we're definitely aware that that's going to be a big component to the type of clientele we're going to be working with. A lot of people, there's this mi misnomer that well, they're homeless because they choose to be homeless, or yeah, excuse me, they don't choose to be homeless, and uh, why can't they just find a place to live? A lot of times that psyche is I don't want to be confined to a property setting or f four walls. I want to be out in the open uh, and I want to have that freedom. And so, so there's a lot of challenges, you know, in the States. So it, it, I've have, I've had so many conversations with like friends and it's like, Oh, well, all these homeless people, they all, they're all drug addicts and all this. And it's like, no, there's so many reasons why someone can be homeless or be struggling, right? Mental health is the biggest. Uh, substance abuse. It could be financial. It, I mean, there's there can uh, being out being homeless for so long that at this point you don't know any better and you don't want to know any better. There's so many aspects to being homeless or or struggling with homelessness um, that there's not one answer fix all right. But so there's a lot of projects where they're developing apartment buildings and small homes and communities just to put these people in there. And it's already setting it up for failure. Like it's not, they're, it, for them, it's not just so they can put a roof overhead. Yes, there is that person who can't afford 
to live in LA anymore or San Francisco or whatever because of the prices of, of the housing of the, of the local housing market. And that will solve those people, those that community's problems. But you're dealing also with a population that they don't want to live under a roof. They want to live out in the open, right? And then you're dealing with a population that they don't know the difference, mm. right? And so there's so many subsects that it's not one solution solves everything, right? Like I have a friend of mine who insensitively says, well, let's just build a whole community out in the desert and just ship everybody out there. It's like, but that's not a solution because these, these are human beings. Well, I think with your facility... You're almost reintroducing them to a sense of humanity again. Yeah, I mean that's our, that's the goal, right? I mean that's the first step is is make it, and it, uh, we have the same approach with clients that come through our current programs, right? Like show a client the respect that they they don't think that they deserve, and then you're gonna you know kind of open their heart and their mind that maybe that maybe they do deserve it, right? I mean we have tons of clients that come through our doors now and. They don't feel like with the things that they've done that they deserve anybody's respect. And the moment we show it to them, they're a little bit, you know, stars. They're a little bit struck by that because in their mind, they're they're lower than dirt, right? And they're not. They're humans. They have made mistakes. They've um, went through challenging times, and they're not trying to give excuses for everything they've done. But if you come from a loving and open-minded place like that, you give them a higher chance of success. If your ultimate goal is to decrease homelessness, decrease mental health, increase, um, you know, um, struct, you know, self-structure and motivation and, and joy and happiness and all of those things that come with it, you have to meet the client where they're at. And so I think the first step is creating an environment that's welcoming. That was our goal. I mean, we're building these houses from the ground up. These are gonna be brand new, 16-foot vaulted ceilings with a chef. I mean, you're gonna have like a real there's a pool, there's gonna be common areas if you know, for if they wanna smoke outside, obviously. And um, you know, there's gonna be a basketball court, there's gonna be cool stuff, and it's gonna be an environment where they're gonna feel welcome. A singer. Right. The singer Me. performing, we do some dance therapy. Um, you know, a lot that that was my vision long term, and you know, we approached the Department of Mental Health um, with my partner. I think it was like five years ago. They they started develop they started giving window of opportunity for for these types of programs to be developed uh, by private entities, and it was it was encumbersome. Like we came to them with a program solution where we we were going to take over, let's say, a large nursing home. We were going to convert it. Uh, that was going to be our intake stabilization, our 72-hour to, to one-week stabilization program, right? Once the patient was stabilized, then we would, we would have an apartment building that was adjacent or close by where they would move to for daily living, right, where we would have case management on site, and they would live as if they would normally live on their own, but they would have case management, they would have medical follow-up care, they would have that component. So it's a it's a full continuum of care, right? It was a beautiful design. It, it, it was a long-term program, but long, long-term, it could have had amazing success, right? We brought this over to the Department of Mental Health and we had a meeting with the director, subdirector, forgot who, 
Um, and the response was, okay, put in proposals, submit it online, and we'll review it with the other proposals. And we're like, we literally gave, we're giving you guys a solution. We're, 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 we, we've been doing this for 20 plus years. My partner, my business partner has been doing this forever. She's a licensed clinical social worker. I've been doing this for, you know, 10 years in the mental health substance abuse space, 10 years in the geriatric. What more do you need? Right. And so they create such a difficult process to like put something together that you you ask the question why don't more people do it? it it's just so hard it, it it was very hard uh they made it very hard it was a lot of red tape it was you know a very old school process now it's a little bit easier uh now because it's so bad at this point you know as a society we're always reacting rather than being proactive so now the society is reacting and now you know, elections are being run based off of I'm going to solve the homeless population and the, that pandemic and all these other things. And so now there's a little bit more interest to get things going. So we got our we got our uh, contract with the with the county within three weeks, which is um, uh, unheard of. Now, again, I want it's not that easy. Like we obviously had to prepare a lot. We have the resumes and the recommendations we submitted were pretty strong, uh, but we were able to get it pretty quickly. Um, and so, so I think there's a little bit more leeway. I think that's what kind of really is pushing us to move faster now where the state and the counties are giving us, um, uh, an easier process to work with. Um, and so, so yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think, I think that there's a lot of room of opportunity for opportunity right now for, um, other players to come in that are want to do it for the right reasons and create something really beautiful. So how many people live in the house? So this can be six clients per house. There's going to be four properties on the lot. Wow. It's yeah. a big piece of land. Yeah. Where did you find the land? Uh, it's Canoga Park. Wow. Yeah. So you went shopping for land for a while then? Uh, one of my business partners is a realtor in the one of your three thousand business partners. Yeah, one of them. Uh, <laughs> he's a developer, and so they had the property, and so we're fortunate enough. That's the other thing. It's difficult to find properties to deal with with mm -hmm. these types of projects um, because to jump into a commercial building, it's very difficult. You can't just get any commercial building. It's, so you build it from the ground up. So building it from the ground up. Okay. Yeah. Well, next up is New Mexico on my land. Yes, let's do it. Okay. So um, that wasn't like a, by the way, that please don't like <laughs> message me all over and say that you want to build something on my land. <laughs> it wasn't an invitation. It's just Arthur. Um, so that's really admirable. You know, you're kind of like this enigma because usually people in the treatment world have a history of addiction mm -hmm. and then they start a treatment program mm -hmm. right? or they're like two months sober and then they start a rehab facility or, or they're a life coach right <laughs> they're a recovery coach right yeah. but you don't have a history of addiction problems per se no and you didn't grow up in a family where people were homeless correct no so where does that desire come from i think it's just the i think it's a balance of i don't want to first of all i don't want to come off across like i'm this you know yeah uh mother Teresa character you're not no uh it's a balance, right? I always believe in the fact that I love making money. I love building stuff. And if I can create something in my life where I can have that, but at the same time fulfill a purpose of mine, which I feel is to help other people, uh, then it's the beautiful balance of, of a world, right? And so obviously we, we could have done this a long time ago. We would, could have dumped a ton of money into it. We could have made absolutely nothing. 
and but save so many people's lives. And I think that that would have been great, but I also like to make money and I like to grow businesses and I like to make it so that it's feasible and sustainable long-term. I love that you own that. Uh, I mean, that's, but that's the truth though. Like, and, and most people who, uh, not most, but the people who say, you know, I'm all in it just to help people. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me see what you say when the mic's turned off and the cameras are turned off and then, and then we can really judge whether or not that's not the case. And so, yeah, I have to, I have to make money. It has to be, it has to make sense because I know how much time crying, sweating, bleeding, worrying, stressing it's going to take to build this. And so there, the value is not just in the, like, I love the stories of like, like we had our alumni, uh, we had a one year bash of our alumni party the other day. And I was, unfortunately I was, I wasn't able to make it, Same. but, but I, I, so, so many people were coming up to my wife who was there and she was saying, man, I wish Arthur was here. He, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here right now. Like Aww. he picked up this phone, his phone and he like, that's like, I'm getting goosebumps. Like, I love that. I love the fact that that person their life is in such a better place. And so that brings me joy and happiness. Now, if I can take that and I can earn a living off of it and I can actually do support my family and, and support my dreams and, and, and goals, that's a win-win. And so I think now that we've come to a place with this project where we can have both, um, I'm like, I haven't been so excited about a project as I am with this one because I think it, it it's, can grow exponentially from a business side. To New and, Mexico. To New Mexico. And from a moral and humane side, I can actually dent like the problems that we're facing as a society. I mean, you really can. A hundred percent we can. How long is the program once you start? The beautiful thing is that with these types of programs and the type of cases that we're gonna be working with, they can be within our care for a, a year. Will there be any psychedelic treatment if that becomes legal uh maybe maybe not depending on where they're at uh, most of the patients that we're going to be dealing with are going to be severe mental health so psychedelics might trigger certain responses and, unless it's mdma right and but again by the time that becomes legal and insurance companies we have yeah. this like love-hate relationship with them right? right because we can't get clients unless they're <clears throat> insured or private pay which right. is much less right and yet, they're not covered for very long, right? Right. Four to six months. It depends. It depends on how you structure it. Yeah. Which is interesting because, in my experience, 13 years doing this, it's in it's around six months when people tend to go back to substances. Yeah, typically six months to a year. Yeah. So it's, it's really, I don't know if the process is just completely mm -hmm. set up for failure so that they can just keep... But that, but that doesn't make sense either, right? Because if they keep going back to treatment, they end up not getting covered, right? So the thing is with mental health and substance use, so there's, first of all, you got to differentiate the two, right? They can be together and they can be separate, right? Not everybody who has mental health has substance use issues. Everybody who has substance issues, substance abuse issues has mental health issues. So it's two different things. And then there's also mental health issues and then there's severe mental health issues. Yeah, there's severe, of course. Uh, there's that scale that's fairly wide. Um, so mental health and substance abuse uh, and or there's a stigma behind it. And I'm not talking about the stigma of I, I'm not willing to admit that I have a problem. 
right? There's a stigma within our culture that um, it's an uncurable disease, right? And the ways, the eyes of the insurance companies, the eyes of the the ones who make the decisions, in their mind, it's a disease that is incurable. It's not cancer. It's not a broken foot. You know, so when they're creating their billing codes and their authorization uh, codes and their processes and they're building all of this out for every type of disease and illness and thing that you can have, mental health, it's a wide open thing because there hasn't been proven to be anything that can cure it, right? You have your traditional community-based programs, your AA, your NACA, Smart Recovery, they haven't cured anybody. They help and they've helped millions of people. But the, compared to the amount of people that are struggling, it's a very small percentage, right? So d measuring cure, like I have depression, I'm and never... How do you, and how do you even measure cure, right, when it comes to mental health, right? It's very difficult, right? There are scales or systems that through the ASAM pro, um, criteria, but... Uh, and they're constantly adapting that because things are constantly coming out. But it's hard. It's hard to do that. Like, it's not a thing where here you take this med and then within three months, we know that you the likelihood is it's going to be gone completely. Because in three months or six months or a year or five years, I've had people that were sober for 15 years or they were doing well. Relapse. Something happened. They got triggered. What happened? So there's no real way of curing. Mental health doesn't go away. You always have mental health. It's whether it takes over your life or it doesn't, right? If you live... If you, if you learn how to live with it and, and live a happy life knowing that you're struggling, right? So the, it's kind of deep. So anyway, so going back to the insurance companies, that's kind of the way that they look at it. They look at it and says, well, why am I going to cover this patient? How many treatment stints or episodes are they going to have within their lifespan, right? They can have 40. And, and treatment isn't cheap. It's expensive. It could typically, be. Typically, how much is a treatment center? I mean, you're looking at thirty to fifty thousand dollars. You have ones that charge ten, but regardless, ten thousand dollars in a month, or twenty, or thirty, or fifty, or a hundred. It's a lot of money, right? Because it's not one treatment. That particular, when they look at it, they see that patient can be in this type of a setting with that type of an expense over twenty times throughout their life. Right. So not everybody, but there are there are ones that go to treatment once and they're, they're that they figured it out, whatever it is. Right. So that's the way they look at it. Right. So their role now or their in their eyes are not saying, OK, like we're going to provide unlimited coverage for these patients, because back in the day you had patients that could stay in treatment for six months to a year. Insurance would cover inpatient residential treatment for three to six months. No question. They would give you. 90 to 90 days to six months of authorization right off the bat. No questions asked. Now you have a huge population of people that now started accessing care. You had the Affordable Care Act where now it's mandatory to provide coverage for, for patients. They cannot deny them for pre-existing conditions such as mental health. So now everybody can have access to care. So now they have this huge pool of people that before would not have called asking for insurance coverage for this. Now they are. So the insurance companies are saying, okay, well, we're going to limit how much coverage we're giving. We're going to make it very difficult for you to get the authorization. We're going to give us the ability to come back and take the money within a seven-year period if we want to audit your charts. I'm talking about the facilities directly. Um, so they've created all of these aspects to make it very difficult to work with insurance. Medicaid isn't any different, right? Because it's state money. So the state wants to protect as much money as possible. Um, and so that you, 
working with Medicaid in a lot of ways is much more difficult to, than working with private insurance. You have to document every 15 minutes. So everything needs to be documented that you do with the patient. And Medicaid? And with Medicaid. Every, every 15, every 15 minutes? minutes needs to be documented. Now you have to document for private insurance for every hour session anyways. What does that mean? Every 15 minutes you have to go and check their heart rate? No, every 15 minutes there needs to be a service provided and it needs to be a note for every 15 minute block. Holy, right. That's a lot. And typically they're auditing you almost every year. And so every 15 minutes. Yeah. And so why are you brushing over that? That's a big deal. Yeah, it's not. It is and it isn't because when you have a system in place, it, it's not like you figure out your system and you just make it work. I mean, their Medicaid program has been around for ever. So it's not like this is something that just came out. Yeah, I know. But I guess like working at a treatment center before, it's like you only did rounds like that when they were detoxing. It was every 30 That's minutes. not rounds. So these are sessions. You're having, yeah, so wow. it's like you're having, like, let's say a 45-minute session. You're going to have three documentation of notes within, like, what was the first 15 minutes and the second 15 minutes and the third? Because you're, anyways, I'm not going to get into the billing stuff side of stuff. But that's how it works, right? So it's still difficult to work with Medicaid. It's the state. They want to protect every dollar they have so they can repave the roads. Um, and so they make it difficult. Um, I... Now, I will preface that with saying I don't know how it's going to be moving forward. It's going to be really interesting. I think there's still, there's still going to be the nuances of it. I think that I, they have no choice but to loosen it up a little bit, just a little. I think because if they want players to come into the space and they want to kind of front load the problem that they're dealing with, they're going to have to make it easier for people to enter the space. If they don't, you're, you're not going to have players like ourselves willing and wanting to get into it. You're just going to keep having the Tarzana Treatment Center of the world just expanding and expanding. And so the programming doesn't change. It's stale. It's the same thing. And so they're going to have to come up with a with a balance of how difficult or easy they make it for companies. And for the, for the people that are homeless on the street right now, mm -hmm. again, I, I really don't know much about this at all. So do a lot of them already have... Medicaid, are a lot of them insured by Medicare, not Medicare, Medicaid, Medi-Cal? A lot of them are, and if they're not, the beauty of going through the hospital system is that you can get Medicaid while you're uh, in the ER or, so like all the social workers and case managers on site, they, they get everybody insured as soon as they enter into the hospital because they, they have to get reimbursed. So wow. if you get into the hospital system, you automatically, not automatically, but they get you emergency Medi-Cal and, and so it's it's a pretty streamlined process. So it's very hard to find somebody who is homeless who doesn't have insurance. If they don't, then um, they if they enter into the hospital system even once, they'll be able to get it. Uh, so now again, it, there are some difficulties within county lines because yes, Medi-Cal is a state-run program, but every county is responsible for their own population. So the contracts we have to develop are with each county separately. So we're not contracting with the state; we're contracting with the county. And so every county is responsible for their own Medi-Cal population. And a lot of times, you're going to have patients who, let's say, they're in Orange County or Riverside, and they migrate to Santa Monica and they enter into the LA County system, they have to move their Medi-Cal to LA County instead of Riverside because the state gives funds to each county and the county has to balance out their funds based off of the Medi-Cal population. 
I just got emotional thinking about your clients because I, I guess I'm used to clients who have this huge support system. Yeah. Right. Like family members. Yeah. Case managers. Mm -hmm recovery coaches, right? Sponsors. I don't think these, this population necessarily yeah. has that. If, and if they do, it's, it's so distant. Wow. Um, no, no, absolutely. So that's why, that's why I'm so excited about this. Cause it's really big. we can really see change in a population of people who don't really get too many opportunities, right. To be able to, to get that. Uh, not that I'm not excited about working with clients that have insurance or are well-funded. I mean, those are exciting too. Um, but I think, you know, leaving a real impact in, in the world, um, it comes from helping the most underprivileged and uh, underserved. So, so, yeah. I'm just digesting that. Yeah. I, it, it's really so admirable. Like I, my ex-husband used to be homeless. Mm. And so we would go uh, twice a year with our company, not twice a year, but we, we would go on Christmas to go feed the homeless center that he used to be. Wow. Um, <laughs> makes me emotional. Like he would go there on Christmas, you know, and, mm. and get his food fed to him by people that were doing what we were doing. And it's like, it's those people that you get to really help, you know, because I think everywhere you go, every treatment center, there's going to be someone that is there that doesn't really want to be there. But then there's those people that are there and they're putting everything on the line to build their life and to create a family. And the fact that you're offering that to people, it's just, it's huge. I'm really shocked a lot of other people haven't done it. Mm -hmm. And um, so. Yeah, me too. When I, when I was first exploring, I was like, yeah. why? Because that's like the curiosity uh, syndrome in a sense, right? In a sense, we're like, there's such an open hole here. Like it's just wide open. Like, yeah. why hasn't anybody really done anything about it? Well, I guess I'm curious, like, the the, the clients that you're, the people, I hate saying clients, the individuals that you're taking, are they people, like, is there going to be a certain type of criteria where you, you have to turn them down if they are, like, the, if they are violent? No, I mean, that, that we don't, I don't know yet, so I, I don't want to answer that, um, fully and, and, and honestly, um, because it depends on our assessment criteria. But I will state that the contract and license we're going after is to deal with severe mental health. So, wow. I mean, again, I, I don't know if we're going to, you know, if they're act, like, again, if they're actively suicidal, if they're actively under, uh, if, uh, if they're actively psychotic or whether it be drug induced or not, they're still going to have to go to the hospital setting and they're still going to have to get cleared and, and either 5150 or cleared by a physician at the hospital. Right. So I think that's still going to be part of our protocol. Uh, if they're actively, if they're violent, this, that, that I don't know yet and how we're going to interpret that assessment. So we'll see, but we will, like, I will preface this by saying that we are trying to get licensed and accredited and uh, move forward with, the population that is severe mental health um, in a residential setting. So, Ugh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I no, have no is. idea. I mean, more to be revealed. I mean, obviously, this is still fresh. And well, I'm not excited. I won't get excited. I won't get excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm excited. It's happening. I'm. Saying, it's more to be revealed in a sense of like, I'm really curious how we're gonna have to adapt. Uh, not only from a from a staffing model because we 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 modeled out the staffing, we modeled everything out, but it's going to be interesting how we're going to have to adjust and and how we're going to might have to shift certain things, and at the same time, 
what our uh, outcomes are going to be measured and how they're going to be measured, right? I, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what comes with our uh, outcome measurements and seeing if we can replicate that and, and expand and grow. Um, I don't think that there's really anything that's out there like this right now. And if there is, nobody really knows about it. Where, you know, again, residential setting, nice properties, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what the how the environment impacts the mental well-being of a client coming in. Um, and I'm really excited if, you know, we get those types of clients that are going to be with us for six months to a year. Right. Because we're always in the private sector, we're always pushing for long term care. Right. There's no magic, you know, magic gummy you can take or, uh, you know, magic pill that you can take that is going to uh, cure you of anything that has to do with mental health or substance use. Right. It's all about longevity and sticking through with this with programming and structure and community and all these wonderful things. And so. In the private sector, it's very hard to do that because insurance companies don't usually cover for that long. So I, I think we're given a really cool opportunity with, with this project. So. When do you anticipate it being ready to open? September 1st. Holy moly. September, October, yeah. Are you going to do... Do? I don't know, like... Grand opening? Yeah. No. No, you don't do that. No. It doesn't, it doesn't need it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about from... Uh, from a branding marketing standpoint, that's my forte. Um, so emotional. I'm sorry. I just, no. it's really like, I think we take for granted our support systems that there are people out there that don't have family and they don't yeah. have anyone fighting for them. Nothing. And the only person that's fighting for them is themselves. And so, like, it's not even that. I mean, think about like all the people that make fun of or ridicule, I mean, or hate. This population. I remember again. I, I was. I was Very at, sad. It's so sad. Very I sad. was at Gelson's one time, and and it's so interesting, right? I I went out, I went outside, and I looked at this homeless woman, and she was so hungry, and I went inside, and she didn't ask me for anything, but I just went inside and I got her some food. I came back out and I gave it to her, and I just like stared into her eyes, and she was not well. She was not mentally well at all, and I just gave her a long hug. And I just and, and and when I told that to somebody and, you know, like to the, to to what they said, it's probably true. But like the first thing they said was, oh, that's nice, Rach, but you probably shouldn't do that. Mm. You know, they're probably like they probably have diseases. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm just like on some level. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But mm -hmm. on the other level, it's like they just want to feel like they belong human. Human. They just want to feel like yeah. they're human. I mean, listen, everybody, everybody gets caught in that emotional state. I mean, I, I've myself, I mean, I, I've r had run-ins in situations with the homeless population that that in that particular individual was either in the midst of a psychotic break or whatever and was running after. And, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm this crazy man. I mean, like, what yeah. the, like, what, get the, get out of here. Right. And so, but then you're pulling everybody that's in this situation with that one person, right? Not everybody who's homeless is going to be that guy running after you with a knife, right? Not I've seen that. Right. Not everybody is going to be that, you know, that woman that is whatever, right? You, you can't pull the entire population within those individuals. And again, even with the biases I have in those moments and either the fear or the anger or whatever it is, it doesn't necessarily mean that I don't want to help them. Right. And so, 
I think we're too quick to judge and pull people together into a group and and as a society. And I think we need to take a step back and say, you know what? Yes, there are going to be those outliers where you're going to they're going to make you feel fearful. They steal, they rob, they do a lot of other things and it can be scary. But that doesn't mean that they don't deserve help. And it doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be treated as a human, uh, whether it be from the legal system or from a, a mental health care system or just from human to human level. So yeah. so I agree. And that's I, I'm really excited about this. So it's nice to hear you excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Well, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm honored to like, you'd be your partner in something like yeah. in a podcast, That's you know, awesome. but like to watch you do this and to, to I mean, I, I see you like all the time and you never mentioned it. It's really cool that you can keep that all in and, but I get why, um, you can scratch up in the episode too, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Got Mental Health podcast. Uh, I, I like. I want to. I guess tell people because when this comes out, like, if, like, where can people find this information about this facility? Um, more to be revealed. Okay. Yeah, we'll add more to the episode later on. Sounds good. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, thank you for all of your comments. Uh, if you are in need of any type of mental health support, I think you should. I mean, can they go to amhealthcare.com? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have, I mean, whether we are an appropriate program for you or not, we will still answer the call. We'll still give you resources. So don't be afraid to call. Okay. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we will touch base with you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.